Where are all my friends? Luke Huxum, thank you for being here. Yeah, it's weird. It feels like I'm watching one of the videos right now. Uh, <laughs> you're like looking around and you're like, yeah, okay, I remember that couch. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm excited for this one though, because I, I say this a lot actually on the podcast, but it's because I genuinely mean it. There's an episode that I'll do where it's a deep, deep friend mm -hmm. and I'll be like, yo, this is so sick. Tell me everything. I know most of your story. But then there's episodes that I'll do where it's like, someone who has become a newer friend and I mm -hmm. really don't know too, too much about you. Yeah. And they make for these really great episodes because in real time, I'm like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And I'm like learning these crazy stories. And I know just enough about you to know that you've done some really cool shit mm -hmm. and that you and I have some similar interests and hobbies and backgrounds of bits of culture that we really love. Yeah. Um, right before we started talking a little bit about skateboarding, cars, mm -hmm. things like that, which maybe ultimately led and shaped your the formative parts of your career yeah. and i'm fascinated by things like that so i know little bits yeah. but i'm really excited to learn your story yeah so thank you for being here and also thank you for being here because you're a little bit more behind the scenes and i'm yeah. always highly honored when there's somebody like that that'll come on and do the pod yeah i like to be behind the scenes because i just like to get things done i don't i don't like to talk about it i just want to do it yeah you know? and i think that's why people don't really know too much about me right which i think is admirable and respectful mm. i think that like you can get too far into the talk about it and mm. not be about it and yeah, you can put 100%. so much out there i'm doing all this this and yeah, this and yeah, this and yeah. it's like where's the result yeah so it's like the podcast and i try to very much own the fact of like this isn't saying hey i made it uh, this yeah, is the yeah, end yeah. but the idea of a podcast as a whole for people who are humble and who are more like keep your head down and work is a little funny because mm. it's like why would I want to go celebrate and be like, this and this and this? Yeah. But that's where I'm always like, yo, but like share that story because yeah. there's so much value in it. So I appreciate the people that have that mindset, but then mm. are down to be like, all right, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit. Yeah, I think because it's not like we're celebrating what we've done where we're probably more talking about how we got there in the process of doing it, you that. know? So even if you're a dude that's behind the scenes, you don't mind talking about that because you know at one stage there was another guy who wanted to do something that you're doing and they don't quite know how to get there. Yeah. So just by like, you know, you might not want to be in front of the camera, you're not, you're not that type of guy, but if you just push yourself a little bit and talk about it, you might end up helping, you know, one or two guys. Dude, and that like you just said that so beautifully. That's why I want to do it. It's because for those of us who are so passionate about that less traditional path, finding resource and information is not as easy because yeah. it's less traditional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, okay, the college course, the Google, all that. But it's like, I want to hear from the people that are out there fucking doing it. And I think you are one of those. And I think that you had a story or I, I mean, I'm about to learn mm -hmm. it, but like the story of getting there and how that led to be is one that I'm very curious of. Yeah, so I guess I guess most people know me because of filming and films that I've made and stuff like that. I enjoyed films as a kid a lot, but I didn't understand why. Mm. That you're a kid, you yeah. don't know how to like formulate or tell somebody why you like this film. You know, like I still remember watching Terminator Two, and when he's going down into the the lava or whatever it is, I was like crying. I'm like, what the hell, you know? So even from a young age. I like really watched films, mm. like sort of dug them apart. And why do I like this? Why do I like that? You know, but uh, I was in IT, so I didn't try to do anything filming. It was like 
just it's sort of up there on the pedestal like uh, i can never get there or whatever i come from a skateboarding background and we would always film each other even without knowing it like we were still framing stuff and trying to make like really small silly stories and narratives and stuff like that yeah at that time when i was skateboarding i just really didn't like school like mm-hmm. it was just i was not bad at school um but it was just boring and mm-hmm. I didn't, it felt like I was wasting my time. So where did like, you go to school? Like, where did you grow up? Uh, so I'm born in New Zealand and I was there for about 11 years. And then I moved to uh, Australia. And so probably more raised in Australia, like in the years that like sort of. Formative years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was at school, I just sort of quit. Like i didn't finish school. I left when I was about 16 and I just started working. Like I was good at computers. So I just got into that. And by the time all my friends were leaving school to go to university, I was already working full time. So I was already making like really good money and I wasn't enjoying the job, but I didn't know what to do. And then I got into cars and then all the money that I did have, I had somewhere to spend it, you know? I always skateboarded throughout those years, but it's sort of moved into cars. Dude, I'm such a similar, like I know that feeling so well. And like the way I skateboarded was you've got your friends that are super tech Uh doing the grinds, you know, kickflip front shove, crooked grind, blunt, you know, they can do all that stuff. I could never do that stuff. Mm. I just couldn't get it. But what I did enjoy doing is going full speed and jumping off like the highest thing ever. Oh, wow. Like, wow. And I got really no injuries. Didn't ever break up. So like a... stair sets or gaps? Yeah, or yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all my friends would break collarbones, do their knees or whatever. But because I'm moving so fast, you just bounce out of it. So I was always, I could go bigger and bigger as long as I kept going faster. And I sort of stopped at 16 stairs. Like that was like. You fucking did a 16 stair? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like that's the skateboarding that I enjoyed. What the fuck? So that's sort of why I liked, I got into cars because I liked the speed. Right. You know? Dude, that's nuts. Were you ever like am or pro or it was just like purely just like skating? I had flow maybe from like a local shop. Yeah. Just discount though. Yeah. So like not not like that. Did you think that you'd go pro? Like was there ever a time? No way. No. But like skateboarding's changed where it was like you were tech or you're doing big shit. Mm -hmm. Now you got dudes doing the biggest stuff yeah. but tech as well yes yeah. and i was looking at my friends who are doing tech stuff and i'm like there's no way i can do that i like it i'm good at it there's no way this can be a job for me right so, okay so it was passion yeah but yeah yeah 100%. it gave you like the values i think that's it's a weird thing to explain but there's something about skateboarding that like if you grew up skateboarding i always say like you can't buy a kickflip yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. It just teaches you values. It teaches yeah. you persistence. It, it just, it teaches you this, this weird life skill. Yeah. When I meet OG skateboarders, I'm just like, oh yeah, we're going to be friends. Like there's yeah. just something there, right? Yeah. And it's good. Like when we were skateboarding, our group was like such a varied group of guys. We had like dudes that were up to your waist, like young guys looking up to us. From an early age, you can see like... They just, they do a trick, they fall off, they, they're they like, oh, I can't do it. And it's like, you know, get up, do it again, you know? And like, that's the only way. That mentality, if I didn't have that, I would have given up like on, ev- on film, on everything. Because right. 
because film is like a hundred no's and one yes. That's skateboarding. So, you yeah, fall a yeah, hundred yeah. times and then you yeah. get the trick and it's the best feeling and you're yeah. just addicted to that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. So it was never looking at it a career, but like you learned how to fucking thrash yeah. and you learned how like these values and then you became really into going fast. So then cars is the yeah. next logical step. Yeah. I mean, what I defined as fast back then. Yeah. And what I thought was like good driving was not. I uh -huh. was awful, uh -huh. awful at driving. Young what were like driver. First cars that you yeah. got. Like what were you into? Oh, uh, my first car was a Silvia S13. Oh no yeah, way! Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Straight your first up. car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so sick. Like in the US, you don't get them, but we have a K70, K70 Corolla. So mm. it's it's basically a four door. A86. Whoa, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of dudes will put, you know, transplant the four AGs into those. But I have my S13 and then I have a rain car. A rain car. Yeah, because it's got no power. So we just lock the diff and there'll be like five, six, seven of us that have these old Corollas. And as soon as it rains, you just see us. We mob the streets. Wow. So yeah, I, I crashed a lot not not in public like yeah. in the back streets and wrote my yeah. car off and whatever you know yeah i'm, I'm getting the picture it's yeah. like it's not like you had some crazy race cars but going from skateboarding you find fun tuner cars yeah and just the feeling of like learning to drift and like just a fun car to drive yeah, yeah. becomes really and it, important and it was like all my a lot of my skateboard friends moved into cars yeah so it's 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 like a seamless transition i was never super into cars when i was growing up but uh i remember uh bad boys mm -hmm. with uh will smith yeah and the the 9-11 yeah. yeah and i i seen that black 9-11 i was like oh my god like i don't know what car that is uh-huh I don't know where, like, I didn't know the engines in the back of it. I don't know anything, but mm -hmm. I'm like, one day, you know, I want to get one of these things yeah. and I figure out what it is. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, yeah, like, I mean, that's eventually why I ended up getting into Porsches and stuff as well. So. Yeah, which is like a funny other, like, logical progression when you think of, like, that enthusiast journey. Mm -hmm. But I'm really fascinated by this because this feels very formative and it feels like a story that I can really relate to mm -hmm. is going from skateboarding, getting into cars. And at least for me, I never in my life thought that those hobbies or passions would translate to life skills or career skills mm, ever. Yeah. And now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was really important. Yeah. So there's also this obvious one of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. So you knew probably how to film your friends skating. Yeah. Drifting. Were you filming drifting then? Yeah. Like, what did that look like? It was weird because we would all film each other skateboarding, but I still didn't understand like what I was doing with the camera. Mm -hmm. None of us did. No. My, our friend was a photographer, mm -hmm. so we all knew from him talking or, or trying to frame us up, you know, unconsciously we knew what we were doing. Mm -hmm. um, I moved to Japan, I don't know, probably 2008, I think. I just went there to drive cars. Like that was it. No because way. we had Japanese, we had D1 drivers come to Australia they said, hey, you should come back and hang out with us. So I did. Like, I just sold all my cars, sold everything. And I'm like, I'm just moved. Yeah. No holiday, 
Yeah. What about like school and life and work and family? Like, is that a crazy move to move from Australia to Japan? Does that happen often? Like, I don't know what. No, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, I just made the decision and I'm like, yeah, I'm moving. And everyone's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm going. Because it's it's good and a bad thing, but I do stuff 100% or nothing at all. Yep. Yep. Which is good in a way because it can help you working and stuff like that. But also if you get into a bad decision or something isn't great for you, I'm in 100% mm. and I'll ride it until mm-hmm. the plane crashes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's how I learn. Mm. You know, I, I don't read the instruction. You just I'm go. in or out. I don't need to go there, you know, for a short stay to figure it out. No, just get me the visa and I'm going there. And mm. I don't speak the language. I've got no job prospect. Just move to the countryside, which is like even worse. Yeah. Because so, at least in the city, people are maybe a little more accustomed to yeah, like yeah, tourism yeah, 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 yeah. or people from outside. Yeah. So I just moved over there with my money. I slept at my friend's office, like at his workshop. How old were you when you moved? I would say 20 Holy around shit. 20 so then like that's also that's really important for the like the story and like mm-hmm. really understanding it because that's when a lot of people are settling into careers yeah, and a lot of yeah. people are maybe getting out of their mm-hmm. like kid shit phases of like okay maybe i'm not gonna go pro maybe i'm not yeah. gonna drive i'll go get this boring job and you're like fuck this i'm doubling down <laughs> yeah but i but i think that's because like at 16 i quit school Oh, so I was so you had four been or five in years in front of. Right. And that's what afforded you getting into cars. You were making yeah, money earlier. Yeah, yeah. So really, even though 20 feels young when you talk about it, you had enough life experience to really understand what you were doing and to like. Yeah, maybe not to understand what I was doing or where I, I wasn't thinking like in the future or you know planning and i'm a guy that now i I really think two three years down down the line which is not what i used to do so (laughs) which is what young allows you to do young allows you to like go and do things that might not work out but you can bounce back from it you know yes so i moved there shit what am i gonna do okay i'm gonna drive cars so straight away i got no job got nowhere to live what cars can i buy so straight away i bought uh, a chaser Wow. So I just went to the circuit with my Japanese buddies like every week, like as much as possible. Uh, And then it's like, oh, okay, I need to earn some money. So I'll teach English because I speak English. Oh, yeah. But teaching English in in Japan, unless you work at a university, you're just another dude, another foreigner trying to make money. Oh, it's like driving Uber of today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anybody can just go do it. Yeah. So you can speak English. Got it. So you're qualified. Got it. And sometimes you'll meet dudes that are like, no, no, I'm a teacher. That it's like, no, dude, you don't you have a degree. Like- you're not qualified. So you just work there. You know, maybe you'll get like two to three grand a month, Mac. But enough it's to like live. Yeah. It's yeah. enough to live and like repair your car. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. after maybe three years, I was like, okay, I'm running out of money now. Cause I how just did you drove. learn how to speak Japanese? I didn't. Like, I tried, no I tried to study, but I can't study. Whoa. So I just speak to people. That's how I, the, the Japanese that I do know, yeah. it's just from having conversations. Oh, wow. So I, it, I really did study. And then it got to the point where I could read hiragana and katakana. And every day I would like remind myself to try and read things on walls, on signs, 
even on car number plates, they mm-hmm. have, you know, Japanese on there. So you can keep reminding yourself. But the moment you stop studying, for me, it just fell out of my head. Wow. So I, I speak Japanese no way near as good as I should. It, for having lived there oh, for yeah, as yeah, long yeah. as you have. If you study and learn, you can be fluent in a year. Okay. So you have a couple of years yeah. teaching English completely just in the car world. Yeah. And then you kind of run out of money. Yeah. Basically, I'm like, damn, okay, I need a career. Mm. Like I'm, I like to be doing things that I feel is, uh, it's helping me progress somewhere. And like that sort of goes back to when I decided to quit school at 16. I I didn't feel like I was progressing. Mm. So I just left and did something else. And then I would have so many different IT jobs because I would be like, okay, I'm not getting anywhere. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, I've dr- I'm driving cars. This is fun. This is great. My career, I've got no career. I don't want to do IT anymore. And then I'm like, well, I like filming. Well, I like films and I like cars. So it's it's a way that I can get into filming that isn't like daunting. It doesn't seem like this big leap for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I bought a whole bunch of camera equipment from uh, B&H in the US and they sent it over. And I'm there with my tape camera and automatic zoom and automatic focus. And I was the only dude in Japan, like at events, filming anything. Mm -hmm. Like it just, it just wasn't happening. Right, right. Different time. Yeah. So I was like filming, editing, making mistakes. And I did that for, you know, one year, two year. And at that time, I got a job at a hobby company selling like Japanese toy cars and models and anime or whatever. I didn't care about that. I hate that. What that job allowed me to do was learn editing because I needed a video guy. And I knew if I'm going to progress, mm-hmm. I need to learn how to use Final Cut Pro at that time. It right. Was Final that Cut was Pro. the thing. Yeah. So that job allowed me. I worked there for two years and I learned everything from Final Cut Pro. Wow. So now while I'm like, being paid. Yeah, while yeah. I'm getting paid and on the weekends while I'm filming and then side hustle, I'm also selling car parts, suspension and mainly wheels because I could at that time, you could go to up garage or wheel places, buy a set of wheels for $800 and then flip them for two grand. Where? Oh, US, Australia. Oh, okay, okay. So like uh, you'd get them cheap because yeah. they're so available at Up Garage yeah. in, in, in Japan and then you'd, you'd uh, export them. Yeah, and yeah. shipping was so cheap. You could send uh, an 18-inch wheel for like 60 bucks. Oh, wow. Okay, so then you kind of become the plug. As yeah. the Japanese JDM car scene yeah. is coming up, yeah. you're the dude on the inside yeah. that knows all the good stuff yeah. and also knows the internet and can list it and sell it and yeah, make money. Yeah, exactly. Names. And so I knew like, okay, I could make a bit of money and no. No one was doing it around me. And there's just deep dish wheels sitting at shops with dust on them. And I'm like, that's two grand. Yeah. There. Yeah. And it's $800. Wow. So I can buy it for this, flip it for this. So I'm essentially working full-time English teaching, flipping shit and going to junkyards to find parts and then filming on the weekends and doing editing. That sounds so hectic, but also so fun. Yeah, there's no way I could do it now. Right. Like it was so much nonstop, just doing like 16, 18 hour days, like nonstop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And no one's paying you to do video. 
Right. It's just necessity and yeah. like seeing a slightly bigger mm-hmm. vision picture. Yeah. And like people, you know, after two years or three years, people were hitting me up. Hey, can you film stuff? We've got this amount of money. And I'm like, no, I don't want money yet because I'm not good and I'm making lots of mistakes. So I don't want to take on a job with that pressure and then go home and realize the exposure or the audio. Because I was, nobody taught me anything. Right, right. You didn't feel comfortable yeah. enough to be like, I'll get money for this. Yeah. Like you're like, I'm still dialing this in. Yep. Yeah. And and I also said to myself, when I bought that camera equipment, I'm like, if I'm not making money at the end of four years, clearly I'm doing something that doesn't, people are not interested in and mm. it doesn't like resonate with them. Mm. So I'll quit if I'm not good in four years. What happens four years later? On the tail end of like the third year, BBC contacted me because they wanted to start a YouTube channel and they're like, we need content. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm getting paid maybe three grand, 3,500 a month for my full-time job where I'm learning everything. And I said to them, okay, I'll do two films for you. I'm making more than my monthly salary. If you can agree to that, then I'll, you know, I'll quit my job. They said, yep. And they gave me like probably a year, a year and a half of work. Wow. And I would travel around with uh, my buddy Dino from Speed Hunters. Mm-hmm. And we would just like go to all these wild places in Japan and like film these workshops, film these cars. Like For we were BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They started a YouTube channel. I can't remember what it is now, but like they've got millions of subs and like all that content I was making for them at that time was getting like 300, 400, 500,000 views. It was working. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. And again, fascinated. What like you're traveling around, you're showcasing all these Mm. cars. What do you think now in retrospect was the magic of it? Like what did people attach to? What was that special bit that you guys were showing that people couldn't see elsewhere? There was nobody filming. Mm, there was photo there yeah. was uh, editorial but... yeah for me that was the only thing it wasn't because i was good at filming it was just because you're the only one <laughs> yeah 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 serious <laughs> it was yeah. it was like i look at the old stuff i mean i look at everything i do and it's it, i go oh that's yeah, awful fuck. but what year was this like what era it's probably like wow early 2010s yeah, it had to be around then, maybe 2010, 2011. It was like the first time when Larry, everybody knows Larry Chen. Everybody. It was the first time that Larry Chen came over. Wow. And we were like on a bus. It was Larry, Dino, Rod Chong at the time was no still at Speed way. Hunters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was still at Speed Hunters. So he contacted me to go film with Dino. And that's when I met Larry. And Larry wasn't what he is now. Mm. Larry was still hustling hard. I mean, Larry's been hustling hard since the day he was born. Yeah, yeah. Um, Talk about all gas. Yeah, that dude yeah, yeah. Never 100%. Stops. Yeah. Then it was like, okay, I'm here. And that's really why my content was working because just nobody else was filming dudes drifting at Ibisu over the jump, scraping walls at Matsuri's and all. Like, it just wasn't there. So you got the photos, like you said, you got the editorial, but you don't have the sound and the motion. Mm. So it was just easy for me to like, for people to watch my stuff. Yeah. But that's on BBC. That's so funny to me. Yeah. I mean, the the YouTube channel that they started, like you, you would have no idea it was from 
them the bbc yeah right but you know now nowadays like every big news media outlet has a youtube channel has something like this you know so and is it branded as them or as do they just see the money in it for advertising yeah and they'll call yeah. it the white label at something but yeah, as a media it, company they it want most it. definitely wasn't as bbc got it, it got it it just looked like this new thing and there was a dude in japan making all these films of course they were working with guys in europe australia or whatever and they were never getting the same views like we would get triple double it was good because they always wanted to work and they're like what do you have like give us something mm -hmm. so that worked well for me and then you know just more clients came basically mm. wow so it worked like yeah you it gave worked. yourself that time and yeah it yeah, worked. yeah yeah you just gotta like set that goal i'm starting a brand new career I'm no good at it. Mm. I got to learn. And the only way I can learn is by doing it because I don't read instruction manuals. I don't study. Yeah. Yeah. So you just throw yourself in and, and see what happens. And then you slowly start to make a bit of money. And then you're like, okay, this is paying for my bills. Wow, this is great. And you've just got like all this energy. And it's, it's, it sort of validates what you've been doing the whole time. Yeah. Because there isn't like a certificate that somebody gives you to no. say like, oh, you're now a director. Yeah, right. But I was never a director. Mm. It took me eight years, maybe. Mm. Eight or seven years before I was like, officially, I'm a director. I'm a director. Yeah. yeah. Here's yeah, the yeah, title yeah. and here's why. Yeah. It's interesting though, right? Like this podcast, the whole idea is to dissect these stories and to try to help and guide people who mm. are interested in a career like that. Yeah. So it's like, if you're trying to answer the question, how do you become a director? It's like, as I just in hearing this bit of your story, it's like, dude, it started from so early. Like yeah. it took that that blind risk of just like, I'm gonna move to Japan. Yeah. Like 100%. that's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. You didn't know. That wasn't some master plan. No, I mean they tried to teach us Japanese in high school and I was like, Yeah, what are like, you talking about? Why? I'm speaking yeah. English. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. But it I think, you know, I didn't go to film school or anything, but so I don't know what happens there, but I think a lot of people go to film school to become directors. Mm but they don't actually understand the process of filming mm -hmm. or of editing mm. and how to do framing and why light's important. They just want to be a director. But then when they, I don't know, they direct something, they don't quite understand how to direct the cameraman mm. or they're not thinking about the edit. Yeah. So I came from filming to editing. I was a DP for a couple of years. And then I was on a huge set and I seen some amazing DPs, sort of mm. like when I was skateboarding, I mm -hmm. seen mm -hmm. some of my dudes were awesome. And then <laughs> I, I was on this huge set in South Africa. It was a BMW drift mob, I mm. think it was called. Okay. And it was like 250 crew. There was like five camera units, it, two helicopters filming. It, it was so big and I shouldn't have even been there. Mm -hmm. and i seen these dps just one guy in particular and he was just floating across that set like in the middle of the madness with this huge camera 300 mil lens just over the shoulder and he's just effortlessly and i'm like i can't do that wow <laughs> like that like i i know what i can do yeah that guy's good and like he was lighting a whole street you mm. know so there was mirrors in the corner of each part of the street and he was bouncing light across the street. Wow. And when you're a DP, like 
everything is light. That's the yeah. most important thing of an image, no yeah. matter what. Without light, you don't have an image. Correct, yeah. And as a DP, everyone's asking this dude, we got to light this street. How do you do it? He can't just like order the equipment, get it all there, and then it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. He's not getting paid to play around and figure out. Right. At a base level, he needs to be able to light that street. Yeah. And then they dial it, tweak it, make it look sure. better. And I went and I'm like, oh my God, I don't understand anything about lighting. And today I realized that being a DP is all lighting. If you call yeah. yourself a DP and you don't know lighting, you're not a DP. You're yeah. a camera guy. It's funny, like when Cozio did the podcast, yeah. dude is like obsessed with understanding light. And I like, that was the first time uh -huh. I understood uh -huh. what a DP yeah. really yeah. did. And I was like, oh. For, for me as a director, all I want is the guy to know lighting. Because yeah. if he knows lighting, he understands lenses. Yeah. And if he knows lenses and lighting, he's going to understand framing. Wow. And if he doesn't understand framing, it doesn't matter. Because you're the director and you know how you want the frame. Sure. But he should know how to light it, you know. It's also a funny thing you're explaining in your story where you're on this huge set and it's actually this really humbling moment where yeah. like the title or maybe the thing that you thought you were chasing, you mm -hmm. see somebody who's actually great at it. Yeah. And it's not this encouragement of I'm going to go learn this. You're like, actually, fuck this. Like, I can't be this. Well, it's like, it's not that I don't want to be this and I think you should do things that you can't do. Mm. It's I want to work with a guy that good. Uh -huh. And do I want to spend the next five or six years learning that? Right. Do you want to put the time in to be the best at that? And I'm like, actually, no. I like, why do I like films? Okay, I like films for the narrative, for the story. I like the characters. So then why am I being a DP? I know I can add to all of those things mm -hmm. using my camera skills. But I actually like building that. Right. And building that means being a director. Interesting. So at that time, I was really thinking like, well, I want to work with a guy like that, mm. but I want to be the one crafting the story. So it was more like this discovery moment of just learning and clarifying yeah. more of your passion. And yeah. it took being around that to know that. A hundred percent. Anything that I can't do, I don't mind doing. Mm -hmm. I don't mind learning. That's mm -hmm. not the issue. Because that's what I've done my entire life. I know I don't know any other way. So it's not like I see it and I'm like, oh my God, I can't do that because he's so great. It's it's giving me sort of a wake up call on like, why are you here and what do you really want to do? Right. You know? So and maybe also what you do the best, most effortlessly, like mm. at least for myself, kind of as you're explaining it. I can think of a couple of things that I can do. Yeah. Like I hate editing. Yeah, I yeah, can yeah. do it yeah. if I have to. Yeah. But then when I see somebody who's mm -hmm. great at it effortlessly, yeah. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like there's not enough life to live. Like life is short. Like let the people who are great at that yeah, go be yeah, great at that. It. And if I can more effortlessly be in a conversation yeah. talking on a mic, I'll just go do that. Like yeah. there's plenty room for people to just go be great at what they're great at instead of forcing the funk. Yeah. So and, maybe it's a bit of that too. And it's like, well, if you get the good footage, you get the good story and then you edit it yourself. I can edit, I can color grade, I can do all of that, but it's not going to be the best use of it. Right. So you're really just giving it to a guy that sees more. Mm. And mm -hmm. that's all he thinks about. And that's all he wanted. Like, that's all he wanted to do. Yeah. So yeah. 
whatever you do in that project just becomes much better. Yeah. You know, and then you work with a, a grader and, you know, it's just, it's all these layers yeah. and all these small things that make like such a big difference. Yeah. And especially, you know, in commercial, you edit frame by frame, you know, like, because you might have 27 seconds. So you really cut each clip together you get down to frame by frame. Wow. You know? Every frame. Yeah. Matters. And like you can, at least me, when it's car stuff, I can tell if like, uh, wow, they, they should have cut two frames because that would have made that connect to that next shot better. Literally down yeah, to yeah, the yeah, frame Yeah, serious. Now. Like it's that important, especially if you're filming car and you're going in many different directions from start to finish, it should flow. Whether, whether the background's flowing, whether the cut's flowing or the car movement is flowing. But, you know, you might change three different locations, but you don't want it to feel harsh. So you can, you can go snow, desert, rainstorm. And as long as the car movement flows, you can move through three different places and it doesn't break, you know, the, the vibe of the film and the flow of it. So for commercial, 100%, it's frame by frame. And an editor will do that frame by frame, you know. And they'll know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. When wow. once you do narrative, it's it's a lot less. Yeah, you don't have to worry about that as much. But for commercial, it's frame by frame, especially for car stuff. It's so important. Do you think? Because here's like where I get really fascinated. Oh wait, go oh, shout go, out. go go. Shout out to Mike Cozio. Yeah, he is. He's great. <laughs> yeah. He's the best. Okay. I don't know commercial directing. Mm. I don't know that world. But I'm now hearing this, and I'm like that maybe makes you an incredible director for other things like is mm -hmm. that like in the industry is that considered like expert mode because um, if you're down to the frame no i think you know already like how do you get from being a video guy mm -hmm. content creator mm -hmm. to commercial mm -hmm. there's no guidebook no and most definitely when i was in japan that's what i was going through and i don't speak the language mm -hmm. and I'm doing like all these films, it's the same thing over and over again, just with different brands. Okay, I want to do commercial. How the hell do I do it? Oh, wait, that's actually a really important part yeah. of your story. So you were doing all the BBC yeah. content. Yeah. And that is more vloggy? Uh, no, it was just like car features in an interview. Okay. Okay. So, but at that time, people were like making montages, but not learning about like why the car was like that or why the guy modified it like that. Okay. You know? Okay. And, and there was so many cars that the US and the world have never seen. Like mm. we had VIP cars that mm -hmm. are a centimeter off the ground with what we call Onikan, which is like camber like this, you know. Mm -hmm. And people want to know like, oh, why is that cool? Why are they doing that? And then that culture starts to move to the US and mm -hmm. overseas, you know. Mm -hmm. So through all that BBC stuff and the, the YouTube channel was going good. And then like Japanese brands were hitting me up, HKS and tire makers and all of that. And they're like, hey, can you come make films for us? And that was cool because it was like these brands that I loved. That was fueling your passion. Yeah, yeah, Those yeah. are the parts you're putting yeah. on every build. Once you do that, like year after year after year, it's like I need to do, be doing something more. I'm not progressing. Like I know I can do whatever they ask me to do. That's fine. And you also don't have like the budget to use the equipment that you want and the mm. lenses and the cameras and all that cool stuff. You feel a cap. You start yeah. to start like yeah. feel like how yep. you get stuck. Yeah. And then you get a phone call one day about a beer commercial. And like I do car stuff. Yeah. A beer commercial. Okay. For Asahi beer. Okay, cool. Which... 
by the way, it's a, I hate the commercial. It's awful, but it doesn't matter because yeah. it was good. Budget. So you say yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, they're like, do you know what you're doing? I'm like, dude, 100%. What easy, easy, and then I'm just like off the phone. I'm like, oh my god, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Now I need this, like, I need that. Oh fuck, yeah. Started happening after I did like the Monster Energy stuff with with Vaughn and Daigo. Yo, you did Battle Drift yeah, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the first time I used an arm car. Okay, wait. So again, for a listener, so yeah. you go from like telling these stories, interview cars, yeah. At least for Battle Drift and Monster, yeah. That's like an action film. Like that's yeah. like an action movie. Yeah. If you yeah, don't know yeah. car stuff, you're watching an action sequence in a movie. Yeah. And how the fuck did you know how to do that? Well, I didn't. Okay. I knew the people that I wanted mm-hmm. to to help me do it. So I flew over like a bunch of my friends from the US. Got it. There was my buddy Edward Tommy. Larry came over. That was from Speed Hunters. And mm-hmm. then we had like a whole other mix of camera dudes. And then we had a, I'm like, okay, well, I need an arm car. I need to be chasing Daigo and Vaughn because they're quick. So, okay, let's book a book an arm car. I don't know how to use it, but I've played the PlayStation. So can't be that hard. The arm car guys get there. You know, you, it's a big responsibility because you have, at that time, it was an older Mercedes with a huge swinging arm on it. And they're like, so there's the control. You know what you're doing? I'm like, yeah, man. It's all good. And like nobody knew the entire time that that was the first time I did it. Uh And that's just from playing PlayStation and drone, doing drone stuff. Because it is literally the same. Yeah. You can either be on the wheels. Some of the old school dudes, they prefer swinging it around on the wheels. I prefer the controller. So the wild shit, though, was we had a shot that went from daytime to nighttime. Uh And I had to match the The framing and the cut. And Daigo drifting and then his exhaust blowing a flame. And then we we filmed that during the day. And then we filmed that during the night. And then we cut it in the middle and it matched perfectly. So they were like, this dude's pro. Like <laughs> this dude knows what he's doing on an arm car. And I'm like, nah, man, this is my first time. No you know? fucking way. You just like fake it till you make it is, is true. But everybody says that. But you got to know that you can make it or else you just get in the situation and you don't really perform and, and everyone an gets stressed. Yeah. You don't get the shot. So you got to know that you can do it before you've done. It. I like the way you said that because yeah. that saying pisses me off. Yeah. And I, I know, it. like I get it. Yeah. I do get it. Yeah. But I like the way you explain mm. that because that's what it, if you don't know you can make it, it, it screws everyone. And yeah. it's like, you are kind of just a goo. But if deep down you, you have it and you just need to like push yourself to that mm-hmm. little bit of discomfort to be like, here we go. Yeah. That's what it is. And also I think a big, huge thing for me was when I was making videos online, the only people you've got critiquing you are the comments. Uh huh. And like, you get the worst comments. Like, why would you do that? That's so stupid. You're a dick. Mm-hmm. And I would retaliate. Like, oh, on the comments. really? I'm like, yeah, bro. Well, why don't you come to Japan and film it? And then you can show me what to do. No shit. Right? So you were a little spicy. Yeah, spicy. And that wasn't good. And then one day, one guy who I respect hit me up and he's like, you need to find like the good in every bad comment. Like if they're saying that's crap, They've said it for a reason, even though their comment is not constructive. Right. But there's something they didn't like. And yeah. maybe you can pull something positive out of it. Right. Maybe they can't do what you yeah, do. Yeah. But as the outside looking in. Yeah. 
that's great feedback yeah, and you yeah. need to be aware of that. Yeah. And like the feedback is just wild. Like everybody's seen YouTube comments. It's just <laughs> it's insane. It's insane. You know, he was pretty high up in the industry in, in terms of car and everything like this. I really respected him and he's seen me doing stuff that would stop me from progressing or hurt my image to even stop me getting that opportunity. Yeah. And that one message, that one conversation was like, okay, I need to think how to deal with criticism and yeah. how, to, how to do that differently because it's not helping me. And I went from like an immature idiot that would just write crap to like, okay, wow, I need to be more professional because wow. this is starting my career now. Wow. And that rolled into like working on the bigger jobs because being a director is problem solving and working with people. Mm. And if you can't problem solve and you can't work with people, you can be the best and you end up with like the worst footage at the end of it. Right. Because you're making your whole team feel yeah. bad or the vibe's yeah, not yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. And it's, that's a really important moment. That's cool that you share that. It's humbling. Yeah. Like, you know, it kind of sucks to have somebody check you and be like, hey, don't be a dick. Yeah. Or like whatever. Like be, whatever that is. I'm I'm such an honest guy mm -hmm. that I appreciate when people are like super honest with me. Yeah. Because in Japan, if you do something wrong, nobody says anything mm. and then they just don't hang out with you, you know? Wow. So That's another really interesting lesson because I appreciate that too. Mm. I appreciate when people can just be direct. Like yeah. it can come off as brash, different cultures yeah. take it a different way. I think in the US, different regions. You yeah, know, if you're in yeah, New yeah. York City, yeah. people will tell you how it is. Yeah, I love New York. People. Yeah. People it's from like, New York, Boston, like yeah. Philadelphia. I'm like, are oh, they? These yeah, because they'll, they'll just tell you and yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. There's no question. But sometimes you can take that as this person's being mean to me. Yeah. You can take that like you can take it in different ways. Yeah. But that's interesting that you like changed your perspective and that you did take that. And then in doing that, it mm. did level up your career. Yeah. That's a cool lesson. Yeah, I had to. I had to. If I didn't, I'd still be, you know, nothing wrong with making videos on YouTube or whatever, but that's not what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then going into like TV commercial with a huge amount of budget, you know, the, the way we got that job was they said, can you do the job? And we said, yes, we couldn't. No way. We were just like, yeah, we can do it. And they're like, how much can you do it for? And we're like, mm, $250,000. For us, that was like good. Feels crazy. And they're like, wow, that's about $600,000 cheaper than anybody else. No way. And so we're just, I'm just like, yeah, we'll just string them along. We'll get everybody we need. It doesn't matter. We can hire the producers. We can build out the crew. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. And then I got a phone call from one of my friends who happened to be working on the client side. And he told me the budget that they had. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Because the agency, they're like, we've got no money. Like, and he's like, yeah, that's not right. So then in the final meeting, you you go for a stage when you're bidding on projects. First, it's like you're bidding against other directors. And I don't believe in undercutting. People should be paid what they deserve. And you shouldn't be undercutting people to get jobs because it's great for that moment, but it destroys the entire industry. Right. It's like, very short-sighted. It's not good for the yeah, industry. Yeah, I hate dudes that undercut or or they'll create an invoice and the crew cost will be low, but the post-production will be high because you can hide all the budget in editing because the clients don't know editing, right? So 
but whatever that's like industry stuff no thank you for sharing that like that's actually one of the most helpful things like i love it when people share specifics yeah. like that on the podcast because it's like those are things like you're not going to find that on google and like the client sees the invoice and they go wow look at the crew this is how much crew costs right and then the next guy comes and it's twice three times exactly as much, and they're like fuck you and yeah. you're like no you don't get it like, i'm like look at my post-production budget it's 50 percent cheaper than the other guy and they're like yeah but we don't like your rate and all your crew's rate and i'm like what the that's how much they should be getting paid, you know? So we went back to the, the final meeting for the for this TV commercial job. And I'm like, okay, we've got the crew. The budget's changed. And they can't change who they're going to make the project with. Mm. And so I'm like, now this is the new price. So it went from like 250 to like $860,000. Wow. And they were like, uh, no, we don't have the money, da, 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 da. And then I'm like, no, you do. I spoke to the client and they're like, well, you shouldn't be talking to the client. I'm like, he phoned me. And the agency is like, obviously upset because that's 600K that they could bank. Right, right. right. So I don't think that's what you should do, but that's like a production company. At that yeah. moment, because I have a film production company in Tokyo, yeah. I'm not working as a director. I'm working as a production company. Well, again, too, like that's really interesting that you share that because it's like the lesson. Like, yeah, yeah. cool. Maybe that specific circumstance yeah. is like, oh, somebody's going to take that the wrong way. That's shitty. But like the life learning yeah, lesson, yeah, yeah. the starting to understand how much things are actually valued yep. at. That's yep. a really important piece for your story. And as any director and any mm -hmm. come up, so it's like, again, thank you for sharing that yeah. because that's a that's an important moment. And that's not the best way to do it, but it, it doesn't really matter because production companies, clients, and agencies, they're all lying about the budgets. We don't have the money. We don't have the money. They do have the money. And it's just a game, just, mm. a, just a battle, you know. And as a director here in the US, I don't... I don't have to deal with that now. I don't, really? I don't really like doing that because it's just a lot of like back and forth and I just want to focus on the story and whatever it is we're making. Yeah. But, you know, that first commercial, I went from me with a camera and maybe one assistant and a photographer or something like this to 150 crew. <laughs> 150 crew, building sets, doing lighting. So now I'm like, how do I survive this? And how do I like bluff? And so the client knows, like, uh -huh. oh, he knows what he's doing, you know? And that's just like getting dudes that are way better than me uh -huh. on set. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I just like look at what everyone's doing and I learn. Wow. So, you know, I knew I could get through the shoot because whatever, it's just a shoot. It's not going to be hard. But it's an opportunity to like learn about the equipment, learn what, the lighting is doing, what the grip's doing, what the producer's doing, what the assistant directors are doing, what the DP's doing, and the DP's talking to you and saying, we should do this, we should do that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, of course. And you're like, well, this is my first time. You know, like even scouting and checking locations. Yeah. You go and see a location for the first time. As a director, you really need to scout. You really need to figure out where you want to put the camera. Mm. Because when the day comes, you don't want to be running around. Right. Of course, you can stick the camera there and it doesn't work it doesn't look good the lighting isn't great so you can modify but you need a plan mm. and when you're a video guy you don't have a plan you show mm -hmm. up you turn your camera equipment on and you're like you go there you go here you do this and then you film it and hopefully it works mm. when you move to commercial it's all about prep it's like mm. doing a, a paint job on a car mm -hmm. the prep is the most important yeah 
if you prep well, especially with cars, working with precision drivers, armed cars, it can be dangerous. You're going fast. Prep, prep, prep. Wow. And as long as you can learn to prep, even when you're a video dude, writing a basic plan of what you want to capture, crossing it off, mm-hmm. that's going to allow you to be like me, to be more organized. And then that's like giving you a step up when you go to commercial. Gives you more it's, confidence. Yeah, too. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dude, I, what a journey because it's like, it's so real. I feel it. And it's the thing that I'm kind of dissecting in mm. it. There's a lot of moments in your career where you weren't necessarily qualified, yeah. <laughs> but you yeah. believed in yourself enough, yeah. took the risk, yeah. but then backed that by as much prep mm-hmm. as you could. Yeah. And then we're humble enough on that giant shoot, mm. like when you hired the best people yeah. to really use those moments to yeah. look and learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, now yeah. you are qualified. Now yeah. you've done it I've, and it's real. I've done it in the sense of I know I can jump on uh, a car job or, or whatever and it's not intimidating. Mm-hmm. We have nowadays is like not getting enough prep. Mm. which comes down to budget. You know? mm. mm-hmm. There might not be enough money to, to prep how you want, da-da-da-da. I don't want to say I can do it with a blindfold, but there's a lot of things that go into car stuff that if you just do it long enough, you already know we're going to have these problems, so we need these solutions already. We mm-hmm. need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. So then when, when the shit hits the fan, you're like, it's fine. We've got this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And it's when you're on a set with... A whole bunch of people, everyone moving around in cars. All everybody wants is someone who knows the direction they're going yes, in. Yes. It doesn't need to be the right direction. They just need You just need direction. to know. And then you also need to be smart enough to go, that isn't working. We need to change. And we need mm, to do that quick. Yeah. And that happens all the time because lighting might not be good. You might be fighting against the sun mm-hmm. or you might have set up a whole bunch of lights and then you get there and it just doesn't look good. Mm-hmm. So you need to be like, let's stop. Let's change this. We're just wasting time. Yeah. And as long as like the grip and the lighting, all those dudes working with you, as long as you've got a plan, even if they've just spent two hours setting up lighting and you just like, you, you, you turn the camera on, you look at the framing, it just doesn't work. Yeah. As long as you can explain to them and articulate what you need, mm-hmm. they're not going to be upset because yeah. they're there to, to make the best looking image. Yeah. Yeah. So you shouldn't worry about like, you're not wasting people's time. It just didn't work. Mm-hmm. So we need to just cut our losses, make a change and go in this direction. And for directors, like even because we have a production company in Japan, so I've hired other directors to film stuff. You can get these dudes that do commercials, their work looks great. It looks like they're super qualified. You stick them on a set with lighting and they've got no idea how to communicate. They don't even know how to work with a DP. Whoa. So they're still trying to grab the camera, which can be frustrating if the DP is not getting exactly what you want. Yeah. But that's your issue. Right. You didn't explain it to him well enough. Uh-huh. The lighting guys, the lighting doesn't look good. You didn't explain to them what you wanted. Don't mm-hmm. just go around and start moving things. Wow. Because that's how you upset a crew. Whoa. So you really like, as you grow as a director, as you grow in your professional field, it is like, obviously you need the technical skill, mm. but that's where it's like, 
people skills and understanding 100%. what everyone does yeah, yeah, so you're yeah. not stepping yep. on toes so you're empowering yep. not taking away mm -hmm. that's what really gets you the best work and there's a time to like hustle people mm -hmm. and start yelling mm -hmm. and not yelling at them but like you raise your voice because like we're running out of time we need to get this done mm -hmm. and if you work with the crew long enough they can sense you know oh he's not yelling at me we're just time constraint yeah. so there's a time for like relax chill everything's going good and hopefully you're not you know you're not under the gun and you're not an hour behind because you're always fighting schedule mm -hmm. and then everything's going to be good but sometimes you need to like get a little rowdy mm -hmm. and if if you're working with other professionals they just sense what that means and mm -hmm. it's like okay we gotta yep. step it up and it's not personal it's yeah, just yeah, work yeah, yeah. but as a director, you jump into a job and you're always working with people you, you've just met for the first time. So you really got to feel, feel out like yeah. how much you can push people. Yeah. And, you know, if some dudes are useless, sometimes you just got to get them off the set. Yeah. Wow. That's really, really wild to hear that broken down and explained. Yeah. Like, I, I'm fascinated by this and like, I'm not even trying to be a director, but it's like, yeah. to me, I'm hearing like leadership skills. I'm hearing learning as an executive. I'm hearing that you've done every role to some capacity and mm. that's now how you can speak to it. Yeah. And it's like those fundamentals are really important. Yeah. Yeah. Like what is the linear progression? Because now I'm, I'm sitting down, I'm talking to somebody who I feel is rather confident and like, you mm -hmm. can get a car commercial done. You mm -hmm. can do that. Yeah. You've done that. Mm -hmm. You're very familiar. What to you now is a challenge? Where do you look to the future of your career? Well, for me, you know, being comfortable in treading water is like the number one enemy. Mm. I, I start to stress. I start to get depressed, you mm -hmm. know, I, it's just something that I need to be doing something different. Mm -hmm. And so now I've got a commercial. Okay, first commercial in the bank, done great, got paid, sick. Mm -hmm. I knew everything wrong I did on that shoot. So the next shoot is like, let's, let's not do all those things wrong again. And then I've leveled up again. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, okay, look at all this equipment. I, there's so much equipment I, I want to use. I, I've never used it before. Let's just get all the toys. Mm -hmm. So it's about getting all the toys and then realizing, oh, wow, that helped me so much. Mm. Okay, I want to get good at that. So that was more like arm car stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm really good on the gimbal and, and getting that head where I need it to get the shot. Um, and then it's like, okay, I want to do this, so I need more budget. Mm. So I need the job needs to be bigger. Mm. So it's like this progression of just trying to get bigger and bigger and bigger commercial jobs so that not for your ego, not for like to say like I've done this, but because it makes you more comfortable in that situation. Yeah. And as that's happening, I'm thinking, why do I want to be more comfortable? Okay, well, I love films. Maybe one day I want to do a film. It's impossible to do a film. Like 0.0001% of directors will get given the chance to no do a way. film. But the percentage that you're even going to be born on this earth and exist is even less than that. So you're like, fuck it. Yeah, I'll, so, I'll take those odds. So the percentage of getting a film is actually now really high <laughs> if you think about it like that. So I'm getting comfortable in commercial, but now I'm trying to find like other situations where I'm uncomfortable and mm -hmm. how can I be stressed and, and still deliver something? I don't enjoy that, but mm -hmm. for some reason, it's the only way 
I know. Yes. And then it's like, okay, so what's the next step? I'm doing the commercials. I've had the budgets. I've had huge crews. And it's like, well, I want to do a film, you know, that. So it's like I've been working on feature film idea for like three or four years. And part of the reason I moved to LA is because, you know, there's good people here. There's connections here. I'm working with an amazing writer now for that. Then I'm working on some TV show ideas with like other friends. So like that's the next step. But to get into film, you need to already have done a film. Mm-hmm. You're a commercial director. Who cares? Like all this experience that you have now, exactly. you're, you're not shit. You're you just haven't, you haven't done like... a film, so you've got nothing. But then you're like, well, I haven't done much with actors. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's what I feel like the film people are, are worried about. Right. You can you can get car yeah. motion down now. You can do bits. You've yeah. done the interviews of car owners. But it's like, how do you mm-hmm. evoke emotion? How do you yeah. then tell these stories with all these different people? Yeah. And for me, I look at that challenge and I'm like, haven't done it, want to do it. I can't do it. But I'm, I love to plan things. So it's like, you know, I, my film involves cars and shooting and japan and we're gonna go to kazakhstan we're gonna do this and like so that's great i understand how to do all of this but then i got actors and i'm like well how can i design these actors in a way that i'm comfortable working with them and like through my time in japan i've met like very interesting dudes like Mm -hmm. so like i've met these guys that if you told the story about them it's like that's a film sure so if I can, I know how he acts and the things that he does and I'm comfortable with him as a person. So if I can take that and those aspects and put those into characters, now the characters are not daunting because mm-hmm. I already know them and I've already met them. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, great. I, I'm doing my first feature already. That's a risk for everybody that's going to fund it. doesn't matter. I'm going to do it. But now the learning about characters and, and like, sustaining a story with multiple characters for an hour and a half to two hours it becomes less daunting when you already know who they are and mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. they would react in that situation wow so now that's what i'm working towards and i think every film director is like yeah i want to work on a film and i want to do it but to do it and yeah. like say you're doing it is like so different right it's like the whole thing of you're saying you're like i'd rather just go do shit than talk about yeah, doing yeah, that yeah. shit yeah but i love like you're saying like that stress of like fuck what am i about to do you're like mm. you don't like the discomfort no but i think like i feel you on that and i deeply relate is like i'm obsessed with progress mm-hmm. and achieving known goals yeah, yeah. and in order to do that you have to be in discomfort. You have to yeah. have it a little bit. Yeah. And it's like, if anything, I fucking hate it too. I yeah. don't like change. I don't like discomfort. I don't want that. But if I don't have it, mm-hmm. it's not it. I mean, and you just have to learn to like know what that feeling is and understand it's there for a reason, I think. Yeah. And you just have to like stop being in denial that you're probably a masochist, you know? <laughs> like, honestly, <laughs> there's something wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. directing films even before you get on set you got to pitch for it and Mm -hmm. then you got to battle two other directors like for a commercial Mm -hmm. so there's three of you going for it each production company will have three directors so that it starts off with nine you got to be your work's got to be good enough to get you into the top three and then it comes down to budget and because any one of those 
other two guys can do the project. Mm -hmm. So now it's a budget thing. So it's a combination of which director they prefer plus the budget. So it's, you know, it's like this huge, just constant barriers between you getting to the film and you're not getting paid for any of that time. Right. And it's like, if, if you go up and you're bidding on jobs constantly, it's so many no's. Right. And you've still got to find the energy to be like, well, I'm going to do it again. I don't know if I'm going to get the job, but now I got to spend all this time doing a treatment, da, 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 da. And like coming from Japan, it's a very distant, different system to LA. Like in Japan, we'll do the treatment. We create the mood boards. We do all the writing. We do all the design ourselves. When you come to LA and you have like good rep, they'll handle all of that. So now you can just focus on the idea and the writing and they're going to do the design, do the image pulling, make the document, which can be anywhere from 30 to like 80 pages long, depending on how big the project is. So to even get to a commercial, it's such a struggle and it's, you need to survive that. And the dudes that are wanting to be directors don't know yet that they, they're going to have to get into that. Right. And that's why you say it's like, mm -hmm. fuck, man, if you're in the DMs asking how to do it, yeah, it's like, there's a lot to it. It's not oh, to yeah. say that people can't mm -hmm. do it, mm -hmm. but it's like all that shit. Like, yeah. do you have the thick skin for that? Do you love it enough to go do that? Yeah. And, and when I watch a good film, I find myself like really thinking about myself and what I need to do better. Why is that person dealing with that? And how do I deal with it? So now film is like therapy. Wow. And that's what I want to make for somebody else like i want to make a film where people watch it and of course you've got the action and you've got all of this like heat heat is my all-time number one favorite film no way and that like that left a mark on me mm. and i didn't realize it at the time and i've watched heat like once a month for like five years no way yeah, dude, when, no way especially when i when i'm making um an idea, even if it's commercial or whatever, I get stuck. I'm stuck. I can't move. So I, I eat the same things. I'll watch the same things and I won't watch anything new because because it'll interfere. It might, yeah, it might yeah. influence. And I, I also exactly I, I don't want the idea that I'm doing to be subconsciously influenced by something else I've seen or whatever. You right. Know? Especially if it's current, because yeah. then people will be like, oh, you bit my style. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't want to like follow a trend or mm -hmm. I just want to do what I want to do and what's right for that project. Yeah. So now that I'm working on my feature film, I'm stuck watching my favorite films over and over again. But I've only, you know, in that five years, I've analyzed like why I love heat. So I'm like, oh my God, I, I want to make that. Mm -hmm. you know, like that's what I want to be doing. That's what I want to be involved in. Mm -hmm. And until I've done it, I'm not going to know if I like it or not. I might make a first film and then get to the end and I'm like, oh my God, the juice was not worth the squeeze. Wow. It know? might be like seeing certain DPs who are great and you're like, fuck, like I thought this was yeah, it. Other yeah, people yeah, do it yeah, better. Yeah. But you know, at least right now, like you have that goal yeah. and you have your sights set. That's the career wise, whatever, commercial, great. I want to keep doing more. I love it. But if... If I don't make a film, mm. I've like failed. Mm. Like my whole 15 years of mm -hmm. being in Japan, like everything was a waste. Whoa. For your first film, I think it's like so important that 
you give everything like it's it really is like life or death it's so cool to like hear this and learn this and you know again it's like this isn't necessarily like my specific mm. industry yeah, of what yeah. i do yet every bit of your story i'm so in and i'm like fuck yeah. this is cool the same problems i've got it the same problems for you mm-hmm. the same problems for other people that are trying to you know get further in their industry also learn who they are what they actually enjoy doing yes because you think it you know you enjoy it at one as in one aspect of your life and then as it progresses you realize oh, maybe i don't you know right and then you have to deal with like what do i really enjoy and who am i yeah yeah it's like this whole story arc yeah. just in anything yeah so like the film for me is, is a huge release of you know I've, I've had some like crazy shit happen to me in japan like wild stuff and i you know I haven't processed it yet and I can't process it yet. And my film is going to help me process all of that stuff. You know, wow. it's, it's an outlet. Yeah. And Talk about therapy. It's, it's all around. Yeah. Because, you know, negative energy and a lot of people meet me say I'm negative, but I'm from Australia and we, we use negativity and like problems and talking shit. And I don't like this. It's, it's a bonding thing. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, for me, like getting the negative energy and getting all that bad stuff, like it consumes, it can consume you if you're uh-huh. not careful. Yes. So let it consume you and then take all of that and put it into something you want to make. Wow. So, you know, you, you can reuse that energy in some other place. A lot of music, musicians do that. Songwriters, yeah. artists. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's like, a, a, you're not wasting your energy. You're not wasting your time and you're finding an outlet for it. It might not, it might not help you in that moment or when you're going through it, but maybe after you've finished, you're like, okay, I've done, I've mm-hmm. done that. I've got it out. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the best thing, you know, you can hope for. Yeah. So it doesn't follow you along everywhere. So you've got to jump in and you've got to do it. And if you've got more grit and you've got more dedication to it, there's a lot of people that don't have that. Yeah, wow. And like I meet DPs, directors, producers, whatever. They're really happy doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. They have no, no, uh, what's the word? They don't envision themselves or they, they don't want to get into film or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's dudes that are doing commercial and they really want to get into film, but it's too hard mm-hmm. and they don't know how to do it. And maybe they can't survive the process. And that's like, a lot of people mm-hmm. so already even if you don't have the best story the best film or whatever but you've just got that dedication you can cut through like a lot of people in front of you you know i also love that you share that because like i grew up relatively like poor or just mm-hmm. didn't have a lot given yeah. to me and somewhere along the line somebody basically told me like Something that you can have that mm. money can't buy is care and determination yeah, yeah. and drive. Yeah. It's like you can have more enthusiasm than the next person. Yeah. You can care more than the next person. You can't buy that, right? Mm-hmm. Same way I say you can't buy a kickflip. Yeah. So I love that you're saying yeah. that as well. It's like in a world where you almost can't stand, stand mm-hmm. out amongst everyone, everyone can do the thing. Yeah. The person you are and that feeling is everything. And like, especially in commercial, it took me a long time to realize like, oh, I want to do that commercial. I know I can do that. I know I can film this. Why can't I get that? Yeah. Well, you don't have it on your reel. Uh-huh. You've never done it before. So now you're pitching to people, agencies and clients. It's their job 
to get the vision and the idea that they want. You don't have that vision or idea, that visual. You don't have that on your portfolio. So how are they going to vouch for you? Yeah. So I think a lot of directors and filmmakers, they're like, they want the opportunities, but they're not prepared to work, Mm -hmm. get the money, save it, and then put it into their own project. Like you need to spend your own money to make stuff that you want because whatever you're doing next year, most definitely for commercial, whatever you're doing next year is what you did last year. You know, if you, if you want to film sport, you want to film people, well, fucking go do it. Go do it. Yeah. Well, I got no money. Well, whose problem is that? Right. Get the money. Right. You know, do, do whatever you got to do to get the money. Don't start a GoFundMe. Dude, what did you, that quote though was bars, (laughs) whatever you're doing, whatever you did last year is what you're doing this year. Yeah. And that's cool. I mean, it's, I don't know if it's cool. It's, that's very self-aware and that's a very crazy way to think about it. And it it took me a long time to realize that. Yeah. I can do that. Why can't I get a job like that? Just constantly thinking that. Yeah. What an idiot. (laughs) You know, like, well, go do it then. Go do it. Go spend your money and do it. Yeah. So if I don't make what I want, I'm never going to get those types of jobs or opportunities. That, dude. That. And it's, I mean, it's just wild, like, how you know it. Yeah. But you'll just go for, like, years not Not thinking like that. Yeah. 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 And then you do it and everything, the the skies open up and you're like, damn it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's like, wow, what a beautiful reminder. Yeah. Like, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just like, uh, it's, we already know this. Yes. It's yes. just, you need to be reminded. But you don't know? you think so much of professional life, like we know what we need to do. We know the next steps. Yeah. We know, it, maybe you don't know every step, but you know mm-hmm. the next three things you need to yeah, do yeah, to get yeah. further. But it's like the difference between knowing it and executing it mm-hmm. is insane oh, and yeah. there's a lot of Completely people that different. know it that never execute it mm-hmm. and then they're upset that they don't get the opportunities and like you you know it's a bit of a slippery slope because things might not be going the way that you plan or you hope and then you're like wow i'm not getting there and you're really thinking about all of this in like the context of 12 months uh-huh. you know uh-huh. like people can work for 30 years and yeah. never get to the top of their career yeah. and then on the 31st year they hit it hard and that's it. They they become everything they envisioned that mm-hmm. they wanted. So even when things are going bad or you might not be getting a lot of jobs, you need to think like, how can I use that time? Because I moved from Japan to the US. It's a completely different market. Yeah. So it's not like I'm booking jobs left, right and center. Right. I have to work my way into the market. Yeah. Of course, I've got a portfolio. I've got a career. I'm a professional. I can do it. But the US market and overseas market, like how you make a commercial here, it's different. for different people. Yeah. You know, yeah. Americans are one way, Australians are this way. So they need to see stuff differently. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming here and I have more free time, but like, what can I be doing with that time? Well, I should concentrate on the projects that I want to do. Yeah. Because the moment I get busy, I'm going to forget about those. Yes. Yes. And, and the moment you're busy and the moment you have it and the mm-hmm. moment you like, you're good. What's the thing you're complaining about? Fuck, I wish I had more time to do the shit I yeah, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. You have it right yeah. there. Go it's, do it. It's like a, it, I think it's a mix of like endorphins and validation. Mm-hmm. You get a job. Oh, mm-hmm. you're validated. You can do this. You are a professional. You're getting paid this amount of money. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. Everything's great. And mm-hmm. then you can just carry on with life. Mm-hmm. 
And then things will start to get slow again. And it's like, shit, what am I doing? This isn't yep. good. I'm, nobody's validating me. Da, da, da. And it's like, no, dude, just keep working on yeah. your stuff. Yeah. Like keep yeah. the stuff you want to make. That's the perfect time to like mm -hmm. push hard and figure it all out. The opportunity will happen. You can force it to an extent, but if nobody wants to give it to you, it's just not, it's not going to come, but you need to be ready. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be so ready that when it comes mm -hmm. and when that money is there and everybody, the moons have aligned and everybody understands your idea. They're like, let's go right now. Let's yeah. go. Yeah. And if you're not ready yes. and you didn't do all that work in your downtime, yes. you're not prepared. So you can't, ah, you can't jump on it. That, you know? Dude, that. So even now I constantly have to remind myself, okay, I'm here in LA, new market. It's going to take time. Everyone's take, telling me, yeah, it'll take time. Da, da, da. I'm not worried. It'll happen. Yeah. Commercials, the money will come. Yeah. But during that period, you've got to like really force yourself to like work on your own projects. Oh, it's right? so beautiful. Mm. That's so good. Mm -hmm. Oh, dude. Thank you. Thank you for yeah, doing no, this. It this was, was cool. really, it's... really beautiful and insightful. Yeah. And, it, you know, thanks for having me on. But it, it's like a, it's a good thing to like help me reflect on and yeah. help me realign on what i want to do you know totally it's good to say it out loud so totally no it's it's that's why i find it like it's such like this crazy privilege where mm. i get to learn and hear these things yeah. from people like yourself because it's so valuable to just hear it out loud yeah and, and just be around it and so. you're you're always gonna find like just be like genuine mm. just be you know Sometimes you don't need to be that humble when you have success, mm -hmm. you know, enjoy it. But like, as long as you're genuine and an honest guy, you, those types of people are going to get attracted towards you. Yeah. And like, the more you do what you love, the more opportunities are going to happen. But you just need to have like that base of like good, genuine people around you. Anything that starts from a place where it's not genuine, it's going to end up failing. So... You know, just be really careful about your relationships and and make sure that you guys are you're helping each other. Yeah, it's especially in LA. Like, yeah, use it, your turn signals. Be considerate. Yeah, 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 <laughs> dude. Thank you. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers.